0: Please turn uh, in your Bibles again to Genesis chapter uh, 21, 1 to 21, the birth of Isaac, birth of Isaac, Uh, birth of this long-promised baby, so we would expect that it would be a nice comforting story, after all babies are cute, Uh, when babies are born, pictures of babies flood, Facebook, politicians uh, progress by the number of babies, they're willing to kiss uh, in election times. But this isn't really a cute story at all. In fact, there are aspects of the story which are hard. If you come to this as a non-Christian, then there are aspects that you would struggle over because it seems to be a harsh act of God to expel Hagar initially, And uh, even as Christians, we may struggle with the idea of God choosing uh, one son over the other and God discriminating as he does continually all the way through the word of God. We need to be clear of what the main issue is here. Uh, Abraham is the man of faith. Uh, he is the, the one that the New Testament holds up as a man of faith. When Paul wanted wanting to illustrate what faith is he uses Abraham as his illustration. And faith is being willing to believe that God knows best and trusting our lives to him even when we don't understand everything. Uh, He is boss. God is our maker. Uh, He has a right to tell us how it is we come to him. And so there is this exclusive strain uh, running right through the Bible that says to us, you don't make up salvation as you go along. You are to trust, you're to commit to God's plan. And God says, I will reveal myself to one group of people and not to others. And salvation for the rest will be found when they attach themselves to this favored people, this group of my people choice. And we see that right from the beginning, this discrimination. And so Abel presents an offering, a sacrifice to God, which is acceptable where Cain's is not. After the death of Abel, Seth becomes the promised lion. Noah and his family are preserved out of the mass of humanity and then after the flood it is the line of Shem rather than Ham and Japheth through which the promise continues and Abraham comes from the line of Shem and he's called out from Ur and God promises that a people's future the peoples of the earth their destiny will turn on how they respond to Abraham and his seed. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Through Abraham. Not anyone else. And ultimately, that promise is fulfilled in Abraham's uh, descendant according to the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see this discriminating work of God uh, in the distinction that's made between Isaac and Ishmael. God chooses one and not the other, and disdain for God's chosen seed, the disdain that Ishmael shows towards Isaac, the child of promise, uh, results in their banishment rather than aligning themselves with the promised line, uh, the promised line is mocked and there's a necessary parting of the ways. But in all of this, there is a wonderful reminder of God's mercy to those who, like Ishmael and Hagar, are not elect. Even uh, to the mocker, God shows amazing Compassion. Well, let's look at the birth of Isaac. It's been a long and winding road. It's been a tortuous journey. There's been an excruciating delay from the announcement of the promise to the birth of Christ. In fact, over a quarter of a century. There have been points of tension when Abraham, because of his own folly allowed Sarah to be taken into uh, the home first of all of Pharaoh and then of Abimelech and now at last the promised birth arrives and the way it is described reminds us of the character of the birth Uh, we were saying in the prayer meeting earlier that uh, the NIV unfortunately disguises the the literal meaning of what, uh, what the Lord did, literally the Lord visited Uh, Sarah, as he had said. Uh, It's an expression that always speaks of God coming to bless his people. God, who is everywhere at all times, sometimes is said to visit his people. So he visits Hannah, and he visits uh, the children of Israel at the time of the famine. Uh, He visits them and provides food, uh, sorry, in Ruth's time, when Israel... Had a family. God visits his people with bread. And God visits his people in the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus. God visited Sarah as he had promised. So there's a the reminder that this is according to promise. The son is the child of promise. God had said something and he carries it out and uh, it's rubbed in our noses. Verse 1, he was gracious as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, at the very time God had promised him. So it's underlined. Uh, it's highlighted in, in luminous orange. It's reminding us again and again, God keeps his promise. This is the covenant. God makes promises to his people. And his people are to respond in faith and obedience. God takes the initiative and Abram and Sarah respond by believing. Uh, they, they respond, first of all, by waiting and then in obedience with faith. Uh, Abram's obedience is shown uh, by circumcising the child as he was told and Sarah shows her response by joyful praise. But I don't know about you, but when we read it, did you feel that the the story was actually very brief? I mean, we've been waiting for a long time for this birth, chapter after chapter, and when it comes, it's all over before you know it. In fact, there are seven verses only that are taken up with the birth of Isaac. It's been a huge moment. Uh, In fact, there's a real sense in which the whole of salvation is hinging upon this birth. Because God has said it's going to be through Abraham's descendants. But at this point, uh, Abraham only has a child to a slave woman. And we're still awaiting the child of promise. And this brief domestic scene that's described in these seven verses, is almost overshadowed by the international events, the big-scale events that are taking place. There's conflicts with Bimelech that are going on in the background. Uh, First of all, there was a a time of tension which related to the promise of seed, uh, that there would be ambiguity over the proper descendants of Abraham was always a risk when Sarah was taken into the home of Abimelech and God had to intervene powerfully there. And then there was tension over the promise of land uh, when there is the dispute over water in the desert. And in comparison to these big events involving powerful people, royal palaces, water in the desert, which is the equivalent of today's uh, oil, The birth of Isaac seems to be almost insignificant. Seven verses. Almost like the birth announcement in a newspaper or the hurried record of a mother in her diary at the birth of a child. But in relation to God's big plan, it's of huge huge significance. Think of the parallel between the birth of Isaac here and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of them seem like minor moments set against the broad stage of history and yet God is quietly fulfilling his purpose to save his people. Secular human people think that but the change that really is important, the things which are going to do humanity good are thrashed out on the floor of the United Nations or the European Union. Uh, people think that uh, humanity is becoming more and more enlightened and they think that the, the things like going on marches and demonstrations. For things like women's right to choose or euthanasia or gay rights or animal rights or political independence and so on these are all routes to the promised land and God says no look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth he says I alone can bring salvation from all the the powers of sin and death and destruction that assail humanity and God's way of working out things is in the quietness of a birth to this old woman, this 90-year-old woman who gives birth now to a child of promise. And later on, the greater fulfillment, when a teenage mother gives birth to the child, to the seed, in an agricultural shed because there was no room in the hotel. Look at the joy Isaac's birth brought to Abram and to Sarah. Isaac is the source of hilarity. Uh, His name is a reminder of the fact that at first his promise uh, was met with disbelief. And now they're laughing again, but this time it's for a very different reason. It's laughing for joy. Sarah says, now God has brought me laughter And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. So the name combines a reminder of Sarah's unbelief because she laughed when the angel of the Lord announced the birth. And now the reproach of the unbelief has been uh, transformed with joy. And we've got this lovely picture of this uh, matronly mother with her head back, laughing, tears of joy, are running down her cheeks as she cradles the son of promise. Isaac, he laughs. Nothing like death seemed to be around the corner and God has surprised them with life. And that's the story of every Christian. Humanly speaking, we are facing physical death, A life that simply winds its way down. And God enters into our lives by his Holy Spirit. And by the new birth brings us joy. Changes our circumstances. And does it completely against our merits, Completely undeserving. This is what a third century man uh, (coughs) wrote when he was anticipating death. Uh, He wrote, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Joy that overcomes the world. Surely there's nothing worse than failing to, to be moved by the incredible fact that God has loved us. Uh, we're coming back to this morning. You know, that that who would ever have thought it? Note that Jordan strikes. Behold, what manner of love the Father has shown us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Woe betide us if we ever lose. Uh, that sense of of the thrill and the, the completely undeserved and yet real, factual nature of our acceptance before God. That should be enough to make us laugh out loud to know at least what Sarah is feeling at this time, when against all the odds, against her own unbelief and her own failure, God provides life out of death he is the god who does above and beyond all we could ever ask or even imagine who would have thought but domestic bliss uh, in the abraham household was not to last for very long Uh, (coughs) Martin luther once said of marriage that it was a school for character Abraham's family is a tough school. Uh, Two or three years later, Isaac is weaned. Uh, Children at that time uh, were nursed by their mothers for a long period of time. could well have been uh, three years old by the time they have this weaning party. Abraham throws his party. And it's a time of celebration because the young child has now passed the the, the early point where uh, child mortality, the risk of child mortality was greatest. And so there's celebration. Ishmael's there. Genesis 17, 25, we're told Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised. Abraham was 99 at this time. Abraham was 100, and Ishmael would have been 14 when Isaac was born. And so if we give two or three years for the time of weaning, Ishmael at this point is 16 or 17 years old. So he's in his later teens. And during the party, Ishmael began mocking Isaac. Now, all of us who are familiar with children know that there's nothing particularly surprising in that. That's that's what children do. Except, this is perhaps a 17-year-old mocking a two- or three-year-old infant. So there's something a little bit deeper going on. Uh, it's what the son stands for that is being despised. Uh, the composer Franz Joseph Haydn uh, was by nature a cheerful individual uh, but his cheerful disposition had nothing to do with his wife uh, who was a continual trial for him. Shortly after their marriage, she cut up his manuscripts uh, to use for hair-curling papers. And this, this act of vandalism represented more than a dislike of his music. It represented uh, a visible expression of her contempt for him. And Ishmael's contempt for Isaac is similar to that. It's going deeper than just mocking uh, a stepbrother. It struck at the special place that he held as a child of promise and upset Sarah, upset her to the quick, and she says, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Now there's, there's a practical detail here because uh, in uh, ancient law, If a slave and her children, sorry, a a slave, a child uh, born as Isaac was uh, to uh, a father uh, by a a slave woman was entitled to a share of the inheritance. However, if the slave woman was freed, then the child to that relationship uh, no longer had a right to the inheritance. So Hagar is saying, you know, set her free and send her off, and then the inheritance is not jeopardized. But Abraham doesn't see it that way. And we're told the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Now we can understand that, can't we? This this is Abraham's flesh and blood. He is father to this boy. And for 16, 17 years he's been with them. He's seen him grow up. And he's shaped his life. He's on the threshold of adulthood now. And you can imagine, can't you, that the frank exchange of views that took place between Abraham and Sarah. And then God comes and tells Abraham by special revelation that Sarah, or at least her request, is right. And God says that Hagar and Ishmael are to be sent away, not for the reasons that Sarah has, because the inheritance may be threatened, but because Ishmael is not of the chosen line. It is Isaac through whom his seed uh, will be determined. And the Lord hints that Ishmael will be looked after. I will make him into a nation also because he is your offspring. And there's a wonderful response of Abraham at this point. Remember, faith is trusting God even when we don't know what's going on. And Abraham, who must have been sore at the thought of sending away Ishmael, told he got up early in the morning and readied things. I wonder if he got up early because he was afraid that he would change his mind. So he gets up early and he fills that water skin and we see him clinging to Ishmael right up to the last moment, walking out with them wiping away the tears and watching as Ishmael his son and Hagar go off into the distance what was God doing? Elizabeth Elliot uh, was married to the Missionary Jim Elliot, who was murdered by Alka Indians in 1956. Her second husband died of cancer. And in one of her books, Elizabeth Elliot tells of a visit that she made to a, a Welsh hill farm. And she was watching the, the shepherd in this hill farm, one by one, grabbing the sheep by the horns and throwing them into this Tank of sheep dip, and they would struggle to climb out, but the sheepdog would snarl in their faces and force the the sheep back into the dip. And then uh, the shepherd would take uh, one of these uh, wooden uh, plungers and would plunge the sheep down until it got a full minute under the water. The sheep didn't have a clue what was happening, and she observes in her book, "I've had some experiences in my life." that it made me feel very sympathetic to these poor sheep. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from the shepherd, I trusted. And he didn't give me a hint of explanation. Abraham has had more than a hint of explanation, but he must have found it hard. And he needed to trust for what he couldn't understand. And then finally, uh, look with me at the mercy, the compassion that God shows to the mother and her son. It's a pathetic situation. To be cast out from a place like Beersheba is courting death because Beersheba, remember, is an oasis in a desert. And they wandered around and around, becoming more and more parched carefully meeting out the water until one day it's gone and they begin to feel withered up inside. They feel like dried leaves twisting around in the wind. And Hagar realises that the end is coming and there's this pathetic touch, isn't there? She can't bear to see Her son died, and yet she doesn't want to be far away from him. And so she sits him in the shade of a bush and then goes a couple of hundred yards away. She's out of sight, out of sight of Ishmael, and she thinks she's out of sight of everyone else as well. But she is not out of sight of God. God sees Hagar. <coughs> he sees her and he cares. And the angel tells Hagar that God has heard the boy crying and he is moved to care. not that wonderful? The compassion of God. to the mocker there are millions today who are outside of the covenant of God and God is still patiently doing them good and in a wonderful way God provides she has her eyes opened there is a well here but God supernaturally opens her eyes to it But while that's a wonderful provision the other aspects of God's compassion are more wonderful still because he gives her a promise that Ishmael will become a great nation. And then more remarkable still if as I'm surmising they remained outside the covenant in some way or other God will be with the boy he'll know his presence in some way God was with the boy as he grew up and yet the future is with Isaac and all along it's it's interesting when you you read the passage uh, Ishmael is never referred to as Ishmael it's the boy Hagar's son Never by name. Because Isaac is the child of promise. And destinies will turn on how people relate to Isaac and deceit of promise. So what's God showing here? God's showing us that salvation (coughs) is not in human hands. It's not in our desire to to manufacture and shape the future. But blessing is according to his way. Uh, When when Paul takes this passage, uh, he uses the history of the casting out of Hagar and Ishmael as an allegory. And it's an allegory, uh, according to Paul, of the difference between human effort, and therefore failure, and gospel faith Hagar is symbolic of Mount Sinai the way of law keeping it's the way that's reached by human cunning and planning and effort and Sarah is symbolic of Mount Jerusalem Mount Zion the way of sovereign grace and promise the way of receiving the gift, the way of enjoying freedom rather than the servitude of the law. And Paul Paul is saying to us, as he makes a gospel application of this story, that we need to drive out from our lives decisively the impulse to make our own salvation. We need to drive out all that Hagar is representative of and we need to receive grace as a promise. And just as Sarah's child was one that was given by promise and supernaturally conferred on her, we are to receive the grace of God and turn it back on effort. Now, you'd think, well, obvious enough. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to just receive a gift rather than work for it? And of course... That's to completely underestimate the the radical, the deeply ingrained impetus that there is in our life to say that I have done my best for God. To think that I have in some way earned salvation. That although we would never, never say it, God in some way owes me a little. That even if Christ has died for me and I must have faith in him. Uh, Yes, but I have also done this or that or the next thing. Yeah? There's that Frank Sinatra impulse in all of us, isn't there? We we want to sing I did it my way. And it's deep, deep within us. And if you know your heart even a little then you'll recognise that that's there. And Paul's saying drive her out. Drive the slave woman out. Because the promise doesn't come by human effort, but by the grace of God. Friends, that's the principal lesson that the Holy Spirit would teach us. It's a lesson that we have to learn for the first time as unbelievers, because that's the dominant way of thinking. But you know, as we go on in the Christian life, we've got to keep reminding ourselves that we're saved by grace and not by works. Because that Hagar principle will creep in unless we're vigilant. It was creeping in, in amongst the Galatian Christians. And Paul has to warn them sternly. They're slipping back into trusting in their works. We must guard jealously the sovereign grace of God. Our hope is built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Every other way that smuggles in human works is the way of the slave and not of the free woman. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word.